0: Howdy, and welcome to the 10-Week Bible Study. This is week three, day one of our study of Joshua. I'm your host, Ian Hibbs, and today we're talking about Joshua 7, 1 through 15. Welcome back to the 10-Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Ian Hibbs. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to remember to read Joshua 10 times in the next 10 weeks. You've got eight weeks left to read it once a week. This really is a way that you can transform your walk with God and and your encounter with scripture. And I believe with all my heart, it really can change your life. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us? God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. We want to know you more. We want to encounter you through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With well, that, let's jump into God's Word. Be reading today from the NIV. This is Joshua chapter seven, starting at verse one. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now remember, right before Joshua sent everybody into Jericho, right before the walls fell. At least that's the the way in the narrative it tells us. My guess is it's kind of like fitting in some of this um, kind of extraneous information into the narrative. Um, my guess is before they left camp for the day to go into Jericho, Joshua tells them all, hey, we're taking Jericho today. It's going to happen today don't touch any of the devoted things. Don't do any of this stuff. Don't, don't take the gold, the silver or any of that kind of stuff. That's all devoted to the Lord. Don't, don't you take it personally. You can have that stuff in the cities that we go to and destroy after this, but for Jericho, don't touch any of it. <clears throat> and then they, they go into the camp, but they you know, they, they go and they, they march around the city seven times and the walls fall and they take it. Again, the way the narrative says it is that he tells them right before they rush in. I think that the narrative is just kind of shoving that in is like, oh, yeah, by the way, no one's supposed to touch this stuff. And this is why it's kind of shoved in as, a oh, by the way, Joshua made this very clear to everyone. And they knew that they weren't supposed to do it. And then guess what? Someone does it. Someone takes some of the devoted things and because of that, Joshua warned them if you do, like the Lord's going to be against us. It's not going to be good. And we're about to find out how that's going to work. Verse 2. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. All right, so they understood... Here that this is uh, they didn't lose because because they sent too few people. All right, let's let's take a look on the map here for those of you that are watching, and again for those of you listening, I'm going to have these posted at 10weekbible.com slash Joshua. So we've got wrong map here. We've got the defeat at AI, and and so just for some history, we crossed the. They were camped where Moses died there at Shittim on the east side. They crossed over the Jordan and ended up at Gilgal. They went and they destroyed Jericho recently. Now they're back at Gilgal. They've come back to their camp at Gilgal. And from Gilgal, Joshua has sent some people up to AI. They spy it out. They come back and they're like, it's not going to be that big a deal. Just send a few people. So they send these people and they lose now, here is, here, this is a big deal, big deal. And it's not, you could say, well, it's militarily and strategically, these guys got it wrong. These spies got it wrong and they told Joshua bad information. So they, they didn't send enough people and that's where they lost. Um, I mean, nobody's making that argument here, but like, if you're sticking yourself in the midst of what's going on, then, you know, you could be saying, well, the reason we lost is we didn't send enough people. But Joshua's upset about this because the Lord promised him, the Lord told him, Mm -hmm. hey, be strong and courageous. You're going to go up and no one's going to be able to stand against you. No one is going to be able to stand against you, Joshua. So he's got good military intelligence that it's only going to take a few thousand and they go and they lose. This is their second attack after Joshua has become leader of all Israel and on their their second attempt they fail and so this really really bothers Joshua because it's like didn't you promise me that no one's going to be able to stand against us what on earth happened like what is going on verse 6 then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the lord remaining there till evening The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. This is so interesting the way Joshua puts this. Doesn't this sound so much like during the 40 years of them wandering the desert, doesn't it kind of sound like the grumbling against Moses? Moses, why didn't we just stay in Egypt? Why didn't you just leave us there? Right. It sounds so much like the way that they complained. And I've gone around and around in my head here is like, is this because Joshua was with all of those people for all of that time? Did he kind of pick up this language or is this him essentially calling into question the Lord's promise of, you told me this wasn't going to happen. And here we are second second city and it happened, mm-hmm. right? Um, so why did you bring us over here just to have us be defeated, Lord? I think it's a valid question. I think it's a very valid question given the circumstances. And I don't think, right, it may be that Joshua's picked up some of the language Uh, I don't think he's being disrespectful. Maybe he picked up the language, but I don't actually think that's what it is. No, I'm I'm saying could be like, we don't have a description of exactly why he said what he said, but I don't think that that it's because he picked up the language. I don't think that it's because he's being disrespectful to the Lord. I think he's putting this to the Lord like it would have been better, It really would have been better for us to not come over here if this is how things are going to go. But he kind of, he, he takes a step back, right? He's going to walk this back just a little bit. He's telling the Lord, like, you brought us over here and now this has happened. He's kind of putting this on the Lord because the Lord's given him this promise. But now here, let's watch him walk this back. Verse eight, pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe us, wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? All right, again, uh, he he hasn't started. He's not walking this back yet. Uh, He's putting it to the Lord. He's like, you, they're going to kill us. Like they're all going to hear about this. The they were melting with fear, and now we've been defeated by a small city. They're all going to hear about this, Lord what are we going to do now? Again, he is going to sort of walk this back, but I think this is a very valid thing for him to go to the Lord and say, right? This is, this is him, I think being quite logical. And this is the guy who's already, he's already walked out in faith. He's walked around the city seven times and then, or six times and then seven times in one day, like he's done what the Lord has asked him to do. He's been strong and courageous. And so I think this is in his situation, a very valid thing to put before the Lord. It's like, what is going on? He's trying to figure out what's going on. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What, you are, what are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have, violated, they have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied and they have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. This is the very language that Joshua used with them. This is the very thing that he told them. If you take some of this stuff, you will be liable to destruction. So the Lord is using this language with him again. Continue on. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. This is a very interesting thing, a very interesting concept. The Lord permits so many evil things to persist over time. Most of the time, right? David laments this all throughout the Psalms. How long, O Lord, are you going to let the wicked continue to prosper while the righteous are languishing? How long, O Lord, are you going to let this happen? Why do you let this happen? Right? We see this day in and day out. Bad people get away with doing bad things, and right, the, the, the question that people have in their hearts is why would a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? And, and the reality is there's some, there's some oddities of that question, like who actually is, is truly good. But if you just kind of take that on face value, why does he let that happen? It's because if he smote us at the moment that we deserved to be disciplined and smote, none of us would make it past three years old. Right? We'd all have been like smote, smitten, whatever you want to say, a long time ago. And so the, the Lord's grace, he, pers- he, doesn't, he doesn't just like off us whenever we do wrong. He's patient, he's kind, he's forgiving. And even when we persist in sin, he's still patient, calling out to us. Going out like that good shepherd to come and retrieve us and bring us back into the fold. He's patient with us. But there are times where he's not. And this is one of those times. I mean, think about um, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. He's not patient with that. Like, boom, he deals with that fast. I mean, they fall dead at the moment, almost the exact moment that they lie to Peter and here we see that boom like he is not going to allow this to persist here. And so there's these moments in time and and even tells Moses, right? At one point he says, "I will have mercy on who I will have mercy." So the Lord reserves the right to to at any point be like, "Yeah, I'm done with that." Right? He's persisted for hundreds of years with the amorites before he's like finally all right I want you to destroy them all because they're so wicked. He's persisted 400 years with them, even more. I mean we see what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, so that was going on. That kind of wickedness and debauchery was going on before he promised Abraham that he could have the land, but not for 400 years. Right? So so he's persisted for hundreds of years, maybe thousands with the people of of Canaan, the Canaanites, the Amorites. But here we see he's not putting up with this nonsense for a minute. When does he do that? How does he do that? I don't know. I don't know when he chooses to do that, but he reserves the right. As he told Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. Like you don't get to tell me when I have mercy and when I don't. Now, most of the time he's incredibly merciful, but there's times like this where he's like, no, we're going to nip that in the bud. Verse 13, go consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The, Lord will, who, the, Lord, uh, the tribe the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family, and the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man." Whoever is caught with the devoted things shall be destroyed by fire along with all that belongs to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord, and he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, when they're talking about coming forward, you know, clan by clan and all this kind of stuff, what this means, and we'll see this in the next passage tomorrow, is, uh, we don't know this for certain, but most people believe that we're talking about casting lots. Now, again, nobody really knows how casting lots work. We have some kind of hints and shadows at these things, but we don't know exactly how it works. Um, knowing exactly what they used and exactly it's that's it's not that important. Really, what we do know about casting lots... Is that when they're making decisions between people, it's always a binary question, and so the idea is that you're asking the Lord in every case a binary question, meaning yes or no, this or that. And the lot, you're you're casting the lot. Whatever those things look like, some people thought they were pot shards, other you know pieces of pot, pottery, broken pieces of pottery. That you would have uh, the binary question written on either side, and you would do that for each one. You'd toss it in your lap, like you sit down, you toss it in your lap and whichever side is facing up or something like a die or, you know, something like that, you're, you're casting in your lap and whichever side is face up, that's the answer from the Lord. Right. And so the idea is this, there's divine intervention with this thing that you're asking this binary question to, you know, it's, uh, um, I don't say it's like a magic eight ball. It's not, that's, that's a bad analogy, but it's, it's this thing where you are, you're, 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 putting information on these things you're casting in your lap, but you're trusting that the Lord is actually speaking through it. And in this case, we see here that the Lord is actually going to speak through it. He really is going to speak through it many times. And even in scripture says, you know, isn't the lot cast in the lap, but isn't it the Lord that's speaking? All right. So this was the way in the Old Testament that they would ask the Lord to speak to them on things like this. Now, we see the lots cast one last time in the book of Acts, but when the Holy Spirit is given and prophecy is given, like the fulfillment of the prophecy in the book of Joel, that all Israel, all redeemed flesh, young and old, men and women, they would prophesy. They will hear the voice of the Lord. They will know the will of God. After that point, we never see any more lot casting because the Lord is speaking to his people. Just like Jesus said, you know, my sheep, they know me and they hear my voice. They know my voice, right? They they know who I am. They know what I sound like. But they're going to cast the lots and they're going to find out who has done this. Now, again, back to Joshua kind of pressing the Lord with this. I don't think he's doing the same kind of grumbling that the people of Israel did. You could probably read it that way. You can look at that way. And maybe that's actually what was happening. I don't think that's what is happening. I think, I think Joshua has a legitimate thing here. He's like, he doesn't know what's happened. He doesn't know it. And he doesn't know it until the Lord tells him here when he, when he falls on his face before the Lord up until that point, he's like, you promised me. You promised me that no one would stand against us. And here we are, second, second city, and someone has stood against us. Right? So from Joshua's perspective, he's like, I've kind of got a beef with you right now, Lord, because this isn't adding up. What's going on? That's kind of the the perspective. I don't think he's grumbling. I think he's got a legitimate concern here that he needs an answer from the Lord on. The Lord gives him that answer. He's like, Listen, it's just like you said. If someone touches this, they're going to bring destruction on Israel. And that's exactly what happened. Go find it, Joshua. That's the answer of the Lord. Go find it and destroy it. Burn everything that they have. I'm going to deal with this swiftly. And we're going to see how the Lord deals with that tomorrow. But the 10-week Bible study, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. And I can't wait to see you next time.